This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk computers, technology, the internet, uh, all of the good stuff um, that you should be thinking about on a Wednesday night uh, in Melbourne. Uh, tonight on the show, I am in the um, pleasing and um, mohair company of Mr. Simon Leo Brown. Uh, Simon, how are you tonight? I am very well and not in the slightest mohair. Thank you very much. Uh, it's it's wool. Um, I, don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think it qualifies as wool. Okay. I feel warm sitting next to you. Oh, though. good. It good. is good. Um, I'm Warren Davies. I will also be with you for uh, Bite Into It tonight. If uh, if you do um, use devices and uh, if you are kind of um, um, not a if you're wound tightly in with algorithms, you'd be very much aware of the role um, artificial intelligence and machine learning um, plays in our life um, today. From some of the simplest devices to um, uh, game narratives and um, uh, all kinds of things, um, it's a, uh, a very important part of what we do. Um, there's always a lot of conjecture around where it's heading, um, what is um, most relevant, most interesting to us. Um, there's always, a, I guess, a flavour of the month around um, artificial intelligence. Um, and local um, developer um, uh, from a, a studio mate uh, is dropping by in a sec to um, give us his view on um, where things are at now. Uh, I think he's recently been travelling as well, so he can bring us some perspectives from uh, around the world, which is good. Um, also, a little bit later in the show, if you do like a garage sale and you're crazy if you don't, um, there's been an interesting local development um, uh, in terms of mobile apps for um, checking in on garage sales and um, local um, rummaging. Um, so stay tuned for that a little bit later in the show. Before all of that, though, um, there is a, a bit of news um, that uh, we should probably check in on. It is NADOC week. Um, Simon, what does that mean? Well, it means all sorts of things um, and there's a lot of celebrations and some of those celebrations are being held by Google. Uh, you, If you do Google, if you haven't swapped over entirely to DuckDuckGo or something similar, mm -hmm. then uh, you may have noticed earlier in the week there was a doodle uh, celebrating Colleen Shirley Perry Smith, a social worker and activist. Um, and... That it w was great and it was a really beautiful, honouring way to start the week, but it's not the only thing Google are doing. Uh, they've actually baked some Google celebrations into Google Assistant. Oh. So theoretically, if you have Google Assistant and you say, hey, Google, share some inspirational Indigenous voices, uh, then Google should come up with some results but uh in when i just tried it then uh it just came up with uh some web results <laughs> theoretically though it should actually come back to you with uh some inspirational stories from indigenous australia mm. um you can also ask it to uh what are you doing for nadoc week so if you have google assistant and you like talking to it um then that particular ai can uh can give you some Sort of, yeah, so, some beautiful stories to kick off NADOC week with. Mm. It seems a natural um, fit between um, some of our best Indigenous artists and the, the Google Doodle. So if it hasn't happened before, uh, I'm glad it has happened now. Yeah, I think there has been before, but uh, this one was actually, uh, the Google Doodle was actually uh, 
a competition winner, poster competition winner. So um, the NADOC poster com- competition winner actually for 2018. So, you know, that, that was a, a good use of the art. That's pretty cool. Um, something that's not quite so cool is uh, 3D printed guns. Um, not quite so cool. No. Um, so they are uh, available uh, uh, around the place. Um, there's there's no surprises there. There's recently been a, a ruling in the States um, where a radical libertarian, Cody Wilson, um, who's been, um, I guess, pioneering 3D printed guns, um, has won his legal battle um, in the States. Um, it launched... Um, he sort of designed a few guns, printed them. He's kind of got um, a lot of videos out there, sort of um, anarchist stuff, um, manifestos, etc. Um, you know, very kind of like separatist stuff, what have you. Um, so he received a letter from the US State Department um, demanding that he take down his printable gun blueprints or face prosecution for violating um, federal export controls. So even though, you know, you're not literally exporting something, but making the making the um, pattern or the download available across borders um, contravenes um, export laws in, in this particular instance. So um, he spent um, years kind of working on um, this particular battle um, and two months ago the Department of Justice um, offered Wilson a settlement to end a lawsuit um, in a group of co-plaintiffs had pursued since uh, 2015 against the United States government. Um, So they're kind of trying to build this, um, I think I described it as a GitHub for guns where um, there is a, a variety of things going on there. I don't know. I mean, I think it's... I think it's a tough one. I, I'm not, you know, I think all, all guns are bad. We probably need some guns, but the idea that um, guns are freely available at low cost and with um, sort of um, high convenience is is pretty troubling. I'm not sure necessarily what we can do about it. Um, maybe it's um, better education or better understanding of the role of guns. They do say that guns don't kill people. People with guns kill, kill people, of course. So um, maybe we need to think about that. But... Um, yeah, I mean, Simon, what's what's your take on? How, do we control something like this, or do we? It's not. It can't be controlled. It's very difficult to control. I mean, the obviously anything. I obviously, in my somewhat in Australia uncontroversial opinion, uh, less guns is probably better. Mm. Uh, and it's troubling to think that they are uh, going to become more widely available. 3D printed guns aren't new. I remember it being one of the first moral panics of 3D printing. Mm. Uh, so it's it's been a thing that's been around for a while. Obviously, 3D printers are more common now. Um, yeah, it depends on... Well, I don't know. I mean, what do you do? This is this is, this well, is the question. What do you do about it? You could go after the um, actual people who print, um, who make the devices to print as well, and maybe even try and lock out certain patterns or um, make it impossible to print these things. There's a great there's a great um, little cute device a few years ago where a certain um, format, a certain file, file format, couldn't be printed as a way to save paper, and it was like an environmental kind of push. But I'm not sure. I mean, you know, as soon as we think of ways to do something terrible, someone um, does think of a way mm. that we can kind of get around it or kind of solve it. So um, You could also potentially flood whatever platform they are 
using with guns unusable made out of guns. jelly. Yeah, yeah, but with design flaws and yeah. stuff like but, that. But I mean, that's also you know begging for people to die from misfiring guns. So mm. yeah, well, it's uh, watch this space thing. But I imagine it's not the last we'll be hearing of that. No. In terms of more reliable products, um, well, some may say so. Uh, Microsoft <laughs> Surface. Uh, has a new model, uh, Microsoft. Uh, it's been described as taking aim at the iPad, but I think the most interesting thing about it is that it's a 10-inch surface. Um, so it's smaller, it's lighter, it's not as powerful and it's cheaper. Um, and to me, I, I, I don't know. I mean, are people going to give up their iPads? Maybe. But the thing about this one is that it runs Windows 10. Mm. So how much you can do, um, I, it's being touted as a, a, a word processor slash video streamer. So obviously, mm. you know, the, the mid, mid-range of the tablet market, it's still, you know, it, it's not a cheap thing. Mm. Um, but surfaces are kind of becoming the businessman's MacBook they are. The, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, they're... It was funny to watch someone playing with theirs the other day. Like, uh, how do I switch it on? Like, what do I... Where's my keyboard? Yeah. Anyway, what's going on? Yeah, they, they're they really becoming a lot more ubiquitous. Um, they're a pretty reliable piece of gear. Um, they're, you know, they have some, ha- have some fun tricks, like b- being opened by your face, which I'm not sure whether the new one does or not, but probably. So it's... It's interesting to see Microsoft doing this and they may well find themselves um, baked further into that sort of business world where Windows is king or in education environments where, um, where which are on Windows as well, which is still many of them. So we'll see. Interesting. Um if you have been uh, using cryptocurrency, uh, my Ether wallet could be one of the uh, wallets that you have been using. Uh, it's one of the more popular um, services for managing uh, your digital uh, coin. Um, it did suffer a serious security issue um, for the second time this year um, after um, one of the VPN services um, was compromised for around five hours. So my Ether wallet um, is used to um, send the tokens and share the tokens, um, and it warned users um, today um, who utilised the Holar, uh, the VPN Holar, um, that um, up to 50 million users um, of Holar um, had had their data compromised. Um, yeah, and it was actually a direct attack on um, stealing crypto. So um, yeah pretty well coordinated and, and pretty well thought through. Um, so regular users of uh, my Ether wallet who didn't use Holo were not uh, impacted by the breach. Um, so um, yeah, um, my Ether wallet w- itself wasn't compromised. But um, yeah, look into it. I know, you know, um, Cade and we've had a few people who are sort of very interested in, in crypto. So um, yeah, that's bad news. Um, it was supposed to be secure, wasn't it? Crypto that's, that's the whole premise. Yeah, I don't know. Let's let's not go down that track. But um, yeah, I, I guess maybe I, the no. You're right. You're absolutely right. I can't explain my way out of that one. I'm sorry. Sorry, everyone. No, the weakest link. I am the weakest link on. No, no, you're not the weakest link. But oh. you know, obviously, anything is only as strong as its weakest link. I just got oh, the gag. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If uh, if you do use stuff on your phone or indeed your Surface Pro or MacBook or whatever you're using, uh, you will have come across um, some smarts that has been designed by someone 
um, some of it is teaching itself and um, starting to think for itself. Um, artificial intelligence is a really interesting space. We talk about it a little bit on Bite Into It and there's lots of um, facets to it. Uh, one person who's um, exploring that um, on a daily basis is uh, one of the co-founders of Local Studio Mate, um, Bryn Chadwick, who's in the studio with us tonight. Hi, Bryn. Hello, Warren. How are you going? Doing really good. Um, what attracted you to AI? What made you think I'd, I'd like to apply my intelligence to that? Um, I just think the involvement in everyday life at the moment, I feel we've seen a big uprising consumer speak, uh, smart home speakers, like obviously the Google Home and Amazon Alexa, uh, also Siri and other devices. And they're obviously here in, in a big way, but um, how they're affecting us in our everyday life, it actually makes it useful. Mm. Did you um, just thought, I'll plug this stuff in and start playing with it and see what I could do with it or...? I just thought there's something beyond websites and apps, you know, and there's this new interface that people are exploring now, which is voice and voice being those speakers and those smarter bots or personalities that we talk to like Siri and Alexa. Mm. I saw on Mate's website that you describe yourselves as putting jetpacks on dinosaurs. What does that mean? Um, what do you do? Like, not to try and offend anyone here, but, you know, dinosaurs being these big old ways of doing things and... Um, these companies like big corporate entities who are trying to explore things and I guess in a way we would try to equip them with the right technology to sort of move into the future. Sure, we don't want these dinosaurs to die and be extinct like they have been in the past but how do we equip them now to be ready for the future and uh, if a jetpack is a way to do that then let's build them a jetpack, you know? So is AI the most sort of the most likely jetpack? Uh, AI isn't the most likely jetpack but I look back to my father who I would classify as a dinosaur and he doesn't know how to use certain uh, music streaming applications on his phone because he's just not intuitive with some of those apps. But if you get him to talk to a speaker and ask him to play a song from the 70s or the 80s, he can very simply do that by this voice interface. Mm. You know, he doesn't have to learn these different um, app interfaces that are very different across multiple services. He only knows one and that's how to talk. Mm. And to him, that is very easy to do so. My mum doesn't send text messages. She just refused to learn how to, you know, use the small QWERTY keyboard. Oh. So, <laughs> it's an interesting idea that as, as we go through the generations of technology, things get easier for people who find technology hard. That's a nice idea. Well, it, it's certainly an attraction of the speakers and a voice in general. I mean, I think people, when you think about voice commands, you think of, Star Trek or you think of, you know, people being really annoying on trams. So where, what, where are the spaces where this is going to work? Um, I think it's like there's an understanding that this AI, artificial intelligence, is obviously tracking us in ways we don't understand and people have become quite distant from technology. And I think that isn't a good thing. But I think we need to bring that back to a more human level and how people are approaching it in their day-to-day -day lives. Technology was invented to help us, right, and that's why it existed. And recently we've seen things online with Facebook and other companies, security breaches and whatever, and everyone is now curious of their own private security. So I think we've got to come back to a level where it's actually helping us on a day-to-day -day basis and doing the simple things. You know, Google Home, Amazon Alexa, they can put on a timer for us while we're cooking. They can put on a song at our request, they can turn on the TV. And I think it's not overstepping that mark and coming back to a very simple day-to-day -day thing to get that trust back before we try to step any further. You guys do a little bit of work with chatbots and, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Tay was one of the most spectacular fails of a AI chatbot known 
for those who don't remember, I believe uh, it was a chatbot by a major corporation, I can't quite remember which one, mm. um, that uh, was out on Twitter and after a day on Twitter turned into a white supremacist. So Microsoft. It was Microsoft. There you go. That so so that worked um, for not very long. How, what is the potential for failure here? Oh, it's huge. Like there's a very famous juice company in Australia that I probably won't name, but they also did a similar thing. And all of a sudden, people were engaging and getting quite uh, sexual demands and jokes and innuendos through just you know peeling bananas or opening oranges through a simple what they thought was a fun marketing ploy. But the person who was designing this personality or this voice to be a chatbot definitely didn't think about the user in this sense. They thought, okay, this is cool. This is new technology. Let's just throw it out. But essentially they're just contributing to every other distant piece of technology that has pushed us further away at this current point, I feel. Are there, um, uh, there's so many applications for how you um, bring um, artificial intelligence to life. What are, what are some of the things that excite, I, even both of you, Simon, because I'm sure you're interested in sort of things that are going to make your life better or easier. What what would you like machines to learn how to do for you and, and think for you in, say, a, a home environment? Um, I just think simple things, you know. Mm. If you think of waking up in the morning, your alarm goes off, you check the news, you check the weather, you mm. whatever, you check your latest messages, your updates, whatever you read, your blogs, you're probably going to go through at least eight to ten applications, right? Mm. If you could wake up and go, hey, Warren Bot, mm give me the update this morning, what time my first meetings. And if one person could talk to you like your own personal assistant mm. and give you a rundown of the weather, the latest news on your favourite blog, maybe a song and the weather and whatever else outside that you're interested in, you, you don't have to open these multiple applications and go through that. It's just one simple, you know, exchange of information, which I think is quite cool. As long as it doesn't end like her, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I'm just going to stay in and talk to my friend. Well, that's it. But also... Um, you know, the companies that are doing these things are, you know, they're not small. Uh, you know, I mean, what what you're talking about is already happening. You know, I can I can wake up, my phone tells me what time the train that is likely to get me to work is going to get there. You know, it'll tell me how long and I'll be, I'll be there. It can remind me to do all sorts of things. It's pretty good at knowing what news I want to read. Mm. So... But where does that leave the smaller players? Because if the Googles and the Amazons and the Apples own all of this information and they're the ones who are making your life easier, what what are the smaller players, what, what role do they have? So I guess like us, we're quite fortunate to have people like Amazon and Google provide tools and functions now to build on. So like building on their network, you could say like Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud Function, they essentially provide the tools for us right now to, you know, there might be an issue we have, which is ordering pizza to the studio, say, and they give us the tools right there and then to build a tool to deliver pizza to the studio, right, if we have that connection. So I feel like they've I also... I like your thinking. Yeah, they've provided the framework, not just, you know, they're not dom they are dominating the market and they have restricted us in a few ways, but they've also provided us the freedom without diving too deep and exploring how to use these new tools. They've just given them to us, which I think is quite cool. I just thought of one where, um, like, um, uh, people who, who get sad, sort of you know, seasonal, um, seasonally affected disorder, um, and their kind of mood starts to drop. Just things like, um, if people are posting less, maybe send a text message to their friends to give them a call and say hello. 
just smart stuff like that. I mean, I think it's kind of, there's a lot of terrible applications of it. And I think generally as we try and, often when we have a new technology, the first executions of it are very clumsy and we do the wrong things. And there's a piece here uh, about kind of the, the Gartner hype cycle and how everyone was talking about conversational interfaces as this big thing. And then because we've got such short attention spans, we move on to something else just as things might start to get really interesting and develop. Um, maybe maybe we just need to um, uh, give technologists the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, the first things that we did weren't that great and, you know, some customer service things came out that were terrible and it's only natural that something that learnt how to talk like Twitter became a bit of a jerk. That doesn't really surprise me at all. That was very ambitious. But um, I think there's going to be heaps of great stuff that we do. I mean, we there's this kind of um, cognitive bias that we have that things that are new and shiny and different are going to be bad and a lot of us and you know the Andrew Bolts of the world and people of the world will say it's out to steal our money or make us integrate in ways that we don't want to and, and stuff like that but I think there's going to be some beautiful articulations of arti- artificial intelligence we, we had some on the show recently where it was simulating dreams and learning how people had dreams and then presenting them back to people um, there'll be great stuff that we do what's the most life-affirming thing that you've come across in, t- in your world of life-affirming yeah so the best use of it I've seen I would say there's this beautiful uh, email application called amy.xi and she essentially is your virtual assistant you know say so you and me are talking we're going to meet up you know next week for lunch but you don't know what time you want to meet me I don't know what time we don't know where we're going to meet I've got Amy who essentially CC into the email and she'll converse with you over that annoying email ping pong and you two will have a conversation back and forth and I'll get one email maybe later in the week being like, he's ready to have lunch at 12pm on Wednesday at a certain lunch location in Fitzroy. And that's the most practical application I've seen, aside from setting a timer on Google Home or something very basic. There was also the, um, the I can't remember what Google called it, but there was their, uh, their function that would ring up and make appointments for you. Um, and people got very... People got really upset about that because they thought, I don't know that I'm speaking to a robot. How important is it that AI identify itself and say, hello, I'm not human, but I'm here to try and be one? Yeah, very true. But like also the implications that has for small business, you know, small business don't have all these high tech CRM booking systems, you know, they can have a smart assistant now who essentially does all that for them, which at a touch of a button, which I think is quite beautiful, but in a way... I do think there is an issue with un- identifying as that, but someone who's traditionally booked hair appointments through a pen and paper now has someone online who does it for them. They might not have the overheads to hire a receptionist, you know, so there's another way that's pushing small business up, which I think is quite cool. Hmm. Or just meaning that they have to hire less people. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that sort of also, I mean, we, we talk about the worry of automation and AI's only going to you know accelerate that Hmm. what sort of conversations do you think we need to be having as a society to sort of prepare ourselves what's going on um like we did we did build it so like we should be responsible for what it is doing and i think because of the disconnect and tracking people's locations and data and it's kind of gone under this thing of it under the radar sneakily suggesting products to us that we don't know we need but then it's like curating what we should buy in the future yeah it's not the best way to do it but I think there's a smart way to do it now and AI can ask the right questions you know like um, there's not there's no reason for a good experience whether you be food drink whatever and there's no reason for afterwards asking the right questions of the user 
where they can curate that in a way that AI can deliver a better experience next time instead of not asking us and not letting us know. So I do think they need to let us know, but also ask the right questions as well. They don't just gain data for data's sake, gain the right data. One thing that's interesting is we, we tend to think that intelligence is superior to artificial intelligence, but there's a whole bunch of things that we're not doing as supposedly intelligent creatures around the environment and society and just kind of entrenched things that are wrong that we don't fix. Maybe artificial intelligence is just going to overrule us there and say, you know what, online sports betting probably shouldn't do that anyone and just kind of like rule these things out for us. Um, marriage equality, should have done that as soon as the computers kind of had their decision about you know what I mean? Uh, yes, but surely... Okay, so, for example, the um, much-touted Google city in Toronto. Google, mm. for those who don't know, are uh, they have been... I'm not sure where it's up to, but they're, they're planning to build an urban centre in Toronto. Things like rubbish collection and deliveries are going to be, do- a bit, be done by AI. The... Um, all the data that it can possibly be collected, right down to to the numbers of toilet flushes is going to be analysed and and crunched so to Mm. make this a more efficient city. Mm. That's fine, but up until now... Canadians will be up for this. Up until now we elected people to do that and we actually had human beings that we could go to and say Mm. this is going wrong. Mm. So when you put a machine in charge of that... Where are the breaks? Surely you've got to build some breakpoints in. So more of an ethical approach, like you're concerned that it's removing jobs at that lower level? And also democratic concerns that you're you're basically handing over what used to be the function of democracy to a corporation. That is very true. And like we've got to be careful on the data they do collect on us at those low-level jobs. And I have seen in other areas people collecting data on who present a beautiful interface up front there's this beautiful user experience. You have your own personal assistant in the office, but really the corporation is concerned about connect, uh, collecting data on how that person operates throughout the building. Um, no one uses the toilet on the fourth floor. Mm. Next time we build an office, let's not put, build, on put an floor. office on the fourth floor. We don't need to employ six janitors. We need to employ four because they're not, you know. Mm. And that, there is a commercial game for that, but yeah, I think that is a big issue as well. Interesting. We will have to um, either keep an eye on it or at least download an app to keep an eye on it for us. <laughs> Something like that. Um, Bryn, thanks for coming in tonight and having, us, uh, having a chat about it. Thank you very much. We're actually going to, um, we're raising our next guest, but we're actually going to talk to you now about some um, other interesting stuff that came up during the week. Um, if you've been following... Um, you may have heard. <laughs> you may have heard that there's been some stuff happening um, in a cave um, in Thailand. Um, I think it's it's fortunately been resolved. It is, it's it's been spectacularly resolved. Unfortunately, there was a, um, a former Navy SEAL who died in the rescue, but all of the... Uh, the soccer team and coach have been have been rescued, um, and that with the remarkable work of a massive team of um, of, of rescuers, um, and none of which used Elon Musk's tiny sub. Unfortunately, a, a genius idea uh, was put forward. Um, I do like this quote on the Mary Sue. Um, let me know if you can name this show. Um, Although we can't reach the boy, we can freeze him with liquid nitrogen so that future generations can rescue him. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, from The Simpsons. <laughs> well, <laughs> where, yeah. Where Timmy fell down the so well. So for those of you who haven't been following quite so closely, um, Elon Musk inserted himself into 
the rescue effort by uh, declaring that his engineers would build a kid-sized submarine that would that would help with the rescue. Um, and then he delivered the kid-sized su- submarine, got a photo, and then was properly told that the sub was pretty useless to the current rescue effort. Um, I believe he's even um, gone... Uh, he's even criticised that decision. Um is it just me or is Elon Musk turning into the milkshakiest of ducks at the moment? I think so. Um, yeah, there's a, he said the former Thai provincial governor described inaccurately as rescue chief is not the subject matter expert. Um, that would be Dick Stanton who co-led the dive rescue team. This is our direct correspondence. Yeah, and he published the, the email chain between them. I don't know. Like he's kind of, I, I see, see him there and he's kind of like brown leather jacket and it's like it's Indiana Jones in a strange kind of way trying to kind of like have adventures all over the place and um it's funny i mean he has his defenders of course and i i think probably nowhere is the um is the argument more fiercely played out than in some of the reddit threads that i've been following on the co- where uh where there is basically it's it's you know this guy is an evil narcissist versus he is basically Tony Stark and you, uh, what have you done anyway? So well, surprisingly for arguments on the, on the internet, there doesn't seem to be much middle ground. No. Um, it's, it's an interesting one um, that he, he, the, the personality does seem to be getting in the way of you know, um, there seems to be some well-meaningness. I think there. he's trying to do the right thing, but it's the style and the brashness and the you know his very Americanness that um, you know puts people off as well. And mm. it's kind of this is one of those places where it's not really up to um, up to him to intervene and take action. Um, offer your services, say I'll do something, I'll help it if, if I can, but don't just like jump out of a SpaceX and kind of like start trying to pick up people from a, a cave yeah mm. strange um back to matters closer at hand um if you've ever been um looking for a, a, a great bargain or a, a garage sale and kind of realized that there's no great way um to um, pick up on that uh, a local um entrepreneur has come up with a new app called treasure go go um which is um new uh, in the app stores. Uh, he now joins us uh, on the phone. Uh, John Buzz Lewin is on the phone. Buzz, are you, a, are you a massive garage sale fan? How did you get started with this? Yeah, look, I have been in my younger days, but uh, um, I, I've had an advertising career, so I've, uh, I've noticed the, tr- the massive seismic transmission of media to online. And I used to remember the Melbourne Age, you know, on Saturday, you know, there was just like about two inches of real estate, two inches of car sales, and then the little old garage sales sort of got overlooked, so it's been left to the little poster on the lamppost. So uh, I've seen this transition, and um, I just thought, oh, my God, no one's looking after little garage sale, and people are just driving past probably streets of garage sale, and there's a massive interest. And uh, we believe there's probably about three or four thousand garage sales in Australia every week. So the idea of the uh, the treasure finding thing is other, another ten categories, including uh, pop up shops and farmers markets, op shops, all that sort of thing came about. 
I do like the kind of um, serendipity of sort of driving through a suburb or even somewhere you kind of know a little or fairly well and then a garage sale pops up at a place that you've never seen and you're like, oh, should we? Should we stop? What do you reckon? Will we do this? That's kind of fun. Sorry, go ahead. Well, that's the beauty of it. But the the only only categories that we have is that that you you really don't know what you're going to get. You know, there's that surprise treasure element, you know, like a pop-up shop. You might Mm. not be homewares or fashion, but... It's that nature of discovering the possibly something you don't want or don't need. But, uh, yeah, it's that uh, that finding a bit of treasure. Like, you don't know what you're going to get in a garage sale. You really don't. A small submarine, maybe. <laughs> Based the, on a previous right, day. I got a banjo <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't need. There's probably a few banjos out there at garage sales. The, the gap that's been left by the sort of death of classified in terms of garage sales, etc., is, I think, has been to an extent filled by things like Facebook buy swap sell groups. So how does yeah. your app work better than those? Well, I'm particularly biased, but I, I think <laughs> there is a, there's, there's a clumsy, incomplete version of it in, in other things, like Gumtree list garage sale um it's not alphabetical and it's not by suburb and they've got dead ads on it and i mean clearly by that distinction where we're online and we're we're accurate so you go to our thing for garage sales and they're, they're there and they're all current and so forth but and and there's a navigation ability i mean that's not new to anything at the moment but uh, you know, you can route your... If you're going for down the coast or something, you can say, route me to all the garage sales along the way. And, you know, that's a tricky little feature. But at the end of the day, if you're going out for your milk on Saturday morning, you're interested in garage sales rather than happening along the posters, which is still current and valid and so forth, you can just think, oh, well, I'm, it's four in the next street. I might have a morning or I might just have a look. The problem that some of these similar apps in different um, different fields have faced is actually getting the data in the first place, actually getting enough sales on, getting enough stores on. Um, you know, I've, I've seen more than one uh, gig, music gig app fail by simply not having enough gigs Content. or all the gigs that you want. So yep. how, how do you, it's a chicken and egg thing. You want people to be able to download it and use it how do you yeah. make sure that there's the data there when people arrive? Well, what we do, uh, for instance, op shops, and that's a, that's a very interesting little area, but uh, I've approached all the big op shop chains, the Salvos, Vincent de Paul, and so the Savers and all that sort of thing, and all these little stores, you know, like vinyl records, secondhand clothing, they're, they're happy as birds to get onto the thing. So it's been a lot of grunt work. This thing's four years old. So, uh, you know, we uh, we grab content that way. And we're doing, for garage sales particularly, we're doing an AdWords campaign and we're, you know, we're spending a bit to get, get that content. And uh, and then, you know, over the last year or so, we're, we're starting to get a bit of a brand, a bit of a brand awareness, and we're, we're getting people to uh, not only put on Gumtree, but that's the biggest source at the moment. And there's some other sites and things like that, but... They also put on, um, and we're actually advertising on Gumtree in the garage sale section, so they they put it on both. So we're we're growing, but it's it, it's a slow process, and there's no 
there's no early fix to monetizing it or anything, but we've, we've got to establish ourselves in that category. And, and a bit like car sales, you know, you, you might not buy or sell a car for, for five years, but uh, you sure as hell would want to buy it from car sales or, or sell your car on car sales. So, you know, we're, we're, we're just a, a splash in the water compared to that. And we're not as sexy or uh, standing out, but... Uh, I suppose that's the way it goes. How big is your How big is your uh, your area? I mean, so are you covering Melbourne? Are you covering Australia? Are you covering Brunswick? So, what's the sort of area that you're aiming um, for? Um, we are we are we are nationwide, but the marketing is only in uh, the the major capital cities. And I, I don't. Uh, we're not. We're not in Hobart, but for some reason, Southeast Queensland they go nuts over an inordinate amount of interest in garage sales, full stop per capita. But Hobart and Tassie aren't that interested as yet. But uh, certainly, all up and down the seaboard, there's a, there's enormous amounts. And and I did some research some years ago about if if we're just talking garage sales, we've got ten categories, but. There, I think uh, just uh, as an estimation and some of the research we did that 60% of garage sales aren't advertised anywhere anymore since the demise of classified advertising. So it's simply a, a poster on the on the lamppost. I'm going to do it. As well, but then uh, for those people that are, you know, we're starting to get users up at the moment. So they're getting a few more people going to their garage sales simply because they've become aware of it. I'm going to do a shout out to a couple of local garage sales for um, Brunswick East. Um, this Saturday, 24 Hardy Street um, from 10 a.m. Um, that's 24 Hardy Street in Brunswick. Um, there is a garage sale on. Um, and also over at Northcote, um, 312 High Street this Saturday. So I reckon you could do both, 9 a.m., get to 312 High Street and then get across to Hardy Street. Um, yeah. So I, I'm interested. Oh, you could knock yourself out the whole of Saturday. Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe we'll post some links afterwards. Um, I'm interested in the... I've had a play with the app today and had a look through the listings and so forth. Do you think for regular sellers, even um, uh, Chris Gilshop, Northside Records, was in there as well, do you, is there a way for people to rate or review um, the garage sales or even the shops that they visit? Um, I, I suppose once you've got the critical mass of this thing happening, uh, it, it, it's possibly... That's down the track. I, I, I mean, I could imagine a whole lot of things. I mean, my mind goes wild with this kind of thing. You, you know, what do you do with all the things you haven't sold at your garage sale? You know, do you put it on eBay? Do you, can you sell it on to someone else? Or, you know, mm -hmm. do we have a selling arm and all that sort of thing? But uh, we've sort of got to stick to our knitting and um, just stay, keep on that anything that's going to go in there has got to be under that treasure umbrella. And e even things like school fates. You know, where do they advertise? Well, people have to drive past or go to the school and know about that, but uh, we could put something in like that because you don't know what you're going to get. You know, there's handicrafts and all that sort of thing. So it's got legs, but uh, the, the the big thing is, is just getting it known. And, and users are king, really, because the, the listers will follow. Mm. What was the process like in terms of um, creating an app? Did you enjoy that? Are you technically um, minded or you were kind of led by... Um, well, I'm advertising-minded and I'm business-minded, but it was an absolute nightmare. It was a baptism of fire. 
And, and not only do you think you get to know the best way to go, then six months later it's all changed. So this has been a four-year journey. We've done the the, uh, the development team over in India at a tenth of the cost, but it's an interesting number that it was a tenth of the cost, but they get it to 80% finished and then they drop the ball. Mm. And... Uh, and then we got a, a local guy that had a team in India, so that he was actually in Melbourne, so we could speak to him and we could cite him and he actually existed mm. and he answered his phone. But he had a development team over there and uh, they did the same to him. They got it to 80% and then they dropped the ball because of the 80% of the work is in perfecting the last 20% of it in these things. So. Mm. Did you find, yeah. did you find um, once you had this up, um, it changed your view of the world? Like you became obsessed with sales and getting the best deals and so forth had you always been like that or is it a new thing for oh, you look I've, I've, I've certainly had a, uh, a a view of the bargain and that sort of thing and bartering and all that sort of thing and that that in the essence is the garage sale isn't it some something amazing <laughs> that you've always wanted or not wanted that you get it for a song but uh it is, it is the nature of the whole category that you're, you're getting a better deal. You're getting value for money and maybe something unique. What's the balance of users like? You've got, you must know how many people are using what platforms. You've got a web platform. You've got the apps on each platform. Where are you finding most of your users coming from? Oh, look, uh, it, it, it would be 70% Apple iOS. Um, it would also be 60-70% from a handheld device. Um, but the nature of garage are, we say that probably 70-70% probably of people who list a garage sale, for instance, would do it on a desktop because there's more typing involved and uploading photos and that sort of thing because there's greater descriptions and things like that if they want to. But, um, yeah, it, it's generally the, the handheld device for users, definitely. And uh, in terms of the, the roadmap for the app, what, what would be the one thing that you would like to, to add to it if you kind of went, this would be great to add in the next six months? Well, if we get that critical mass and we get that sort of uh, usage level up, which uh, naturally would then have people thinking, oh, well, that's the only place to advertise it. Look, mm. the other big thing is the pop-up shops. We, we've hardly touched on that, but they've got nowhere to advertise because generally... By nature, a pop-up shop um, owner or lessor would uh, try and have, uh, spend as much money as they can getting in a high-exposure retail strip and uh, with little extra money because that's, they're putting themselves exposed with people walking past passing traffic. But uh, um, they've really got nowhere to advertise. And, and given that they're there for a short time, there's no point uh, you know, advertising in the local paper, which is pretty well defunct anyway. So they haven't got even. So I would see that that might be that's a, that's a new new type of business, whole new genre of industry. So uh, I would see down the track that um, a whole lot of types of things could fall in under this banner of treasure. But you know, you know, I, I wouldn't want to see it sort of end up like an eBay, eBay all things to everyone. It becomes irrelevant. But uh, yeah, you know, you might be driving down the coast and you think, what farmers markets are on today? Or, you know, and while we're there, we might have a look at a garage sale or a pop-up shop. And But the pop-up shop's really exciting. I mean, nobody knows how it's going, but I've read somewhere that there's probably three or 4,000 pop-up shops anywhere in Australia at any one time. So how are they promoting themselves beyond where they are? I think they need to get so. in touch with you, Buzz. <laughs> yeah. Give me uh, a call. 
If um, if people would like to uh, download the app and give it a crack, what what should they look for? Well, just uh, simply do a Google. It's in the App Store and then Google Play, so it's on both platforms. Just uh, Google Treasure or Go Go, and you can go to the website, and the buttons are on both, so you can download straight from there. Nice. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's great to see that um, things that uh, have been kind of left behind a little bit as we um, move away from sort of uh, physical classifieds, um, I've got a new home. So um, great stuff. Great yeah, stuff, and, and it's a local, um, locally made Australian product. So uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit more closer to home. So Buy, you, buy your kids uh, a job. Good on you, mate. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, Buzz. Um, it's All the best. We've just got uh, five minutes left of Bite Into It before uh, International Pop Underground kicks off. Um, there's a couple of things that did um, catch our eye. Um, I'm, I'm on a, very much on a space tip at the moment. I'm watching heaps of space-related stuff. Um, and I had to look into this when I came across the story that um, I think it's the Cassini um, mission. Um, so it's one of those bits of junk that we've sent out to take photos of stuff that's just going to end up in one of those garage sales, um, ultimately. Um, but before it does that, it's... Um, captured some of the uh it's radio plasma wave science instrument picked up radio signals that have been bouncing around um between uh i'm not going to say this right uh Enceladus, um which is um a little um moon in orbit of um saturn um and they've picked up some um radio wave emissions uh, of the planet and its moon and i'm going to try and play some of this let's see how it goes Subtle. Mm. It's pretty subtle so far. Oh, sorry, I can't hear it. Oh, that's okay. Maybe I'll try it this way. It's here we go. That sounds like a special f- sound effect from nineteen seventies Doctor Who. Yeah, it could be, it'd be like a great um, alarm on your phone, I think, to wake up to. Just a bit of moon sound. Um, but it's great. I think um, one of the great things about this this kind of period of space exploration where we just like sent heaps of stuff out and go deep into space and take heaps of photos of heaps of places and record as much as we can is um, we, we just don't know what's out there and what we're going to find. And I think... The, like that, the return on investment on these things where we just send them past a bunch of planets to do a bunch of missions, it's great. Uh, I, I'm super curious. Probably, I was very curious when I was a teenager and now I'm coming back into it where I, I just love the stuff that we're finding. And by accident, it was never supposed to capture this stuff, but um, it has, which is great. No, it's definitely because, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I have a young son who's just starting to get excited about space and it's actually so much more interesting now than it was when I was a kid because before it was just like, you know, let's recite the nine planets. But now it's like, this moon's made of this and would you believe what that is? And yeah, the, the amount of stuff, it, it's the same with dinosaurs. Yeah. There's so many dinosaurs now that I'd never heard of when I was a kid. New dinosaurs. New dinosaurs <laughs> um, with jetpacks. With jetpacks. One thing that is also new is um, if you've ever played with a Nerf gun, they can be lots of fun. Um, they're actually being updated. Um, Nerf actually bought um, some old um, IP for a laser tag system. They're actually updating Nerfs with uh, laser tag functionality and a smartphone um, AR app, which is great. You can get them for about 50 bucks, um, apparently. So, Because um, Nerf guns can be like, they're not cheap. Um, so be able to get this for, it is American, so 50 bucks US. Um, should be interesting. So with Christmas coming up, um, 
Strap them to your drone. Strap them to your drone. Three D print them. We used to we used to run around a workplace with. Uh, I had like a um, uh, like a ballada gun, like one of, oh midi gun. I think like you know in conventional terms that used to like just crank through, and it was heaps of fun. That you people fun. do no work, do you? No, not really. Um, it's been a super show tonight. Uh, thank you to uh, Bryn for coming in and talking to us about AI. Uh, thank you to Buzz um, for reviving um, garage sales and making sure we um, get to see all of them. Uh, thanks to Simon. Um, I've enjoyed having a chat with you tonight. Thanks to you, Warren. And uh, thanks to Vanessa for the buttons and dials. Um, up next is International Pop Underground, uh, hopefully with Anthony Carew. Uh, he'll be looking around. Um, I'm getting the nod. Have a great night. We've been bought into it. We'll be back next week. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.